This is the Inside is Capital podcast. Stephen Lingard is Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Franklin Templeton Managed Solutions. The views expressed in this podcast are those of Stephen Lingard and of the Franklin Templeton Managed Solutions Group. Stephen, what I thought we would do is talk about your outlook for 2018 that um, you've recently provided, which was uh, managing volatility through portfolio construction. This your notes on volatility. I thought we would have a discussion about about that and your views on multi-asset. And then I, I had a question that I wanted to ask you about dispersion. There's been a lot of complacency in the market, and investors might be at the stage where they might actually believe that trees grow to the sky and uh, the markets have been serene. You know, there's been really disruption-free. There hasn't been a correction in the market for now over a year. There hasn't been a correction of greater than 3% for as long as, as almost, uh, what, 12 and a half, 13 months. Is that correct? The volatility environment, I think it's been, you know, very, very low, as indicated by VIX. Even if you see a pop in VIX, it tends to get, um, you know, sold, and, and you have volatility continuing lower. I think in our mind that would be in part, you know, investor complacency, but also reflective of the very low economic volatility environment that we're in as well. So it's kind of in part fundamental, in part, you know, potentially complacency. Yeah, in your in your outlook, you 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 say that during 2017, volatil- volatility has been low uh, in both right, stock and bond markets, as well as the economy in terms of macroeconomic activity. And one of the examples that you cite here is the shape of the yield curve. You know, I think a lot of people are looking at the shape of the yield curve. Historically, it's been a pretty uh, good indicator, not a perfect indicator, but a good indicator for, um, you know, the turn the turn in the cycle, um, i.e. recession. So when short rates get pushed up higher than sort of long rates, that, that tends to portend to an economic slowdown that clearly everyone is – uh, wants to position for ahead of time, <laughs> um, naturally, because you get, you know, a significant rotation in, in asset prices, um, you know, in particular bonds that have enjoyed, you know, a nine-year bull market almost interrupted and nearly worry-free, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see some downside. Um, so I think investors are, are clearly watching the yield curve, but there's a few things that are going on that make it maybe a less uh, you know, useful indicator than in years past. I think, you know, obviously the short end has been anchored by ultra easy monetary policy that uh, is in the process of changing. So the Fed has now raised hike, uh, raised interest rates uh, four times uh, and is uh, winding down its balance sheet. So monetary policy is becoming incrementally, uh, let's say, less loose, but I wouldn't really call it a tremendous tightening. Um, so normally that pushes up the front end of the yield curve, which flattens the yield curve. Um, and, and again, people are looking at that um, as an indicator the cycle may be ending. But, you know, I think the other thing that's holding the yield curve down and flat is the, is the long end. Um, you know, there's something called term premium. So basically the long end is really driven by inflation and also investor behavior. Um, so there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of investors invested in the medium and long part of the yield curve um, that aren't there in a normal cycle when you don't have central bank um, monetary policy. So obviously I think there's about $14 trillion or something of that 
um, magnitude in central bank uh, buying of, of the various yield curves around the world, in particular, you know, uh, the Fed, obviously, the ECB, but the BOJ, some of the largest central banks in the world. So that, uh, combined with a distinct lack of inflation, has kept the yield curve very, very flat. Um, and I think, you know, the cyclicality of inflation, because it really hasn't been around, has led to that low volatility environment um, that, you know, I think looks like complacency, but also, you know, is is just very low economic volatility, uh, including, you know, growth, but also inflation. So, you know, the yield curve for us, uh, is interesting. I think it represents an opportunity. Um, you know, we do think the volatility picks up next year as central banks begin to move away from this ultra orthodox, you know, unorthodox monetary policy, uh, and the yield curve begins to have some more volatility as, as big investors sort of move away. Now, you know, the Fed does that initially. I still think the ECB uh, is, is, you know, expanding their balance sheet right up through the end of. Uh, you know, the third quarter of next year is kind of where they're on record. The BOJ probably continues for all of next year. But, you know, the first of the big central banks are clearly in, you know, reverse mode for monetary policy, and that's likely to, to impact the yield curve, which which is likely to impact volatility, which will then have knock-on effects to things like currencies, um, but also, um, you know, equities and, and bonds, et cetera. Um, and the way, you know, through equities, obviously, you know, multiples are very high. So when inflation is low and cash flows are fairly certain and we've seen, you know, uninterrupted growth as for the most part for nine years, you know, investors can really push up those multiples um, that they pay for, for future cash flows and, and in the case of stocks, you know, earnings and dividends and, and shareholder buybacks, et cetera. Um, but as volatility increases, historically at least, that multiple will, will come down because there's more uncertainty around those cash flows um, going forward. So, so that's why, you know, in our outlook, I think we, you know, we still see the cycle as being positive. So we still see growth. We don't see risk of a recession in 2018. But if you get more volatility on the yield curve, if you get more volatility overall, that's likely to at least hold back the valuation component of, um, you know, stock returns. Um, just, you know, by way of a reminder, as you know, I'm sure you know, obviously, you know, stocks move on valuation and also the fundamentals, so so the earnings and cash flows. Those, you know, the earnings and cash flows look pretty solid next year. They'll come off, they'll probably come off a high because of sort of the base effect that we had from the lows last year. But I, I think we see them as pretty solid globally. Um, but again, it's that multiple, can that uh, ever expand? Um, you know, last year it was earnings plus a bit of multiple expansion. This year you'll probably have the earnings component, but but perhaps a flat multiple, potentially a multiple that's actually lower, which means that, you know, in our mind it could be not quite as good a year as, as last year in terms of risky asset returns because because of volatility and how that sort of plays out through um yeah, you know, the uh, the valuations, particularly in the equity, but also in credit markets. So, Stephen, would you would you say that that I mean, uh, it, it sounds as correct me if I'm wrong, please, but I, it sounds like the sums that we're talking about in the bond market, in terms of the 14 trillion dollars that is being held by central banks, um, that's keeping yields uh, at the long end. Uh, quite low, 
that is it's a staggering amount of money first of all it's a staggering amount of of uh of central bank intervention and it's taken a very long it's taken a decade to get there um and would you say that i mean I, it sounds like what you're saying is that the tail effect of this monetary policy is remains very accommodative still it's going to take some time to gradually unwind i do think that you know they're being careful and and making sure that they don't just sort of pull the rug from under the market i mean clearly they want a wealth effect they also want this normalization to happen without a huge dramatic spike in volatility because um you know as i mentioned um you know the valuation is a key part to um you know why risky assets can continue to have a tailwind if you suddenly have a very um non-transparent or aggressive withdrawal of liquidity i think that's where that gets expressed even if the overall earnings and economic environment you know continue to be supportive of stocks and risky assets i think um you know a big spike in volatility if if the vix went to 20 or 25 would certainly play out through uh, a lot of financial um instrument financial market volatility that um you know central banks are are not uh, are very aware of and want to avoid so i i think it's going to be a very well telegraphed and uh, orderly uh, withdrawal of of liquidity over time and i think it makes sense that the fed was sort of driving uh the world uh world growth it was sort of the lead locomotive uh, i think um it, it makes sense that they would be sort of withdrawing that liquidity uh initially followed by you know some of the other lagging economies notably uh ECB and or you know Europe and the Bank of Japan you know lagging in terms of timing actually you know Europe has has I think uh, outgrown the US up until the recent quarter for the last couple of years um but certainly in in terms of time you know the Fed has been you know raising interest rates really since the end of 15 so they've been very very uh slow in reducing the accommodation so um but nonetheless i i still i still think we think that volatility goes up but it's a difference of you know it's a matter of magnitude you know if volatility pops into the teens for say the vix i think the market can still manage to climb higher but you don't want a doubling or tripling of the vix which would i think really upset some of this you know nascent recovery that we've seen uh in the global cycle and your sense of volatility returning it's not a matter of if it's a matter it's more a matter of when and yes. you yes and and what you're what you're stressing here in your outlook is that it makes sense to prepare for that eventuality i think so yeah you want to be early on on these things um because they can be asymmetric um and what we mean by that is you know they can you know the the cycle is very long so you you can earn uh, you know a little bit on playing momentum until the the game or the regime changes and then you know you can typically lose a lot and you know there's there's a number of different assets that we worry about um you know losing a lot on in a short time period um you know duration instruments are, are certainly among those because 
you know, one of the areas of complacency that we've seen, a lot of people think about complacency just as, well, you own risky, higher returning assets, and, you know, it's been a long cycle, so that's where the complacency is. But, you know, I'd argue there's as much complacency in, in conservative instruments as there is in some of these risky instruments, and in some cases more so. Um, you know, so bonds have continued to, to take in the majority of, of flow. Um, and you now have interest, real interest rates that are, um, well, this entire time real interest rates have been negative. They've now gone back to more uh, zero. But as the economy continues to normalize, um, that real interest rate is, need, is going to need to, to be positive, um, and that means rates are going to go up, and that typically hits, you know, bond prices and long-duration assets. So you have long-duration assets that will suffer as the economic normalization occurs. And I think, you know, in some ways it's like a frog that, you know, boils, uh, gets boiled um, as the heat right. gets turned up. You don't really recognize the environment's improving because really I think as an industry, investors have called for, you know, rising interest rates for five years and nothing has really happened. I mean, you can say now we're 100 basis points sort of off the bottom in terms of short rates. And even the 10-year is, is, you know, 125 basis points off its lows. So that is the type of sort of orderly, renorm, you know, renormalization that we're seeing in interest rate markets that I think the Fed is, is looking to engineer. Um, so they don't spook the market. And, um, and, and frankly, there's still a lot of debt out there. So, you know, we can't tolerate interest rates, and I could say this in Canada, of, you know, 4% overnight rates or even 3% overnight interest rates. I think right. it's a very different situation because of the debt load. So, um, but that, um, you know, that, that move towards normalization means that a lot of these economies are at capacity or even operating above capacity, so above their speed limits. And that means that, that the regime, you know, policy has to change. And, and where volatility picks up is it's very hard for central banks to think historically to sort of thread the needle and to engineer a soft landing as they get into a new, um, you know, regime for monetary policy. And that's where the economic uncertainty picks up and the financial market uncertainty picks up, which gets expressed through uh, volatility. So that's you know, that's kind of why we believe volatility picks up next year because we're finally seeing a regime switch towards, you know, tighter monetary policy than looser. Right, and the transition to tighter should result in volatility. Exactly. 